And so today we have a special guest. And this person honestly has been such a light in my life and so many lives. I feel it in Indiana. Um, he is such a great mentor and such a great person that I look up to. So we're going to welcome Brandon Stifler. Thanks, Brittany. I'm so ready to go tonight. I brought two Bibles. Two Bibles. And, what? Yes, they're not the same translation. That would be foolish of me to bring two of the same. That'd be crazy. Is everyone excited to be here? Brittany talked, man, laser tag. I feel like I should get in on that with you guys. And then, then you mentioned get a pretzel and go to American Eagle. You literally said the three things you can do at Indiana Mall. Play laser tag, get a pretzel, and go to American Eagle. That's literally it. That's the only thing left in there. There's, that's my, bio, Bath and Body Works, by the way, is like my favorite store on the planet. New, when new fragrances come out, it's like... My birthday, every time, Christmas, Easter, my birthday, all rolled into one. My wife hates it because I want to buy literally every candle inside that place. Thank you, Matt. I have coffee from Commonplace Coffee House. You should go there. It's great. Are you really a pastor at Reverie Church if you don't work slash go to Commonplace every day of your life? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the appreciation for it. So... If you don't know me, I think I know most of you in this room, but my name is Brandon Stifler. I've known Brittany since the day she walked through the doors here at church, and I've loved her ever since that. She's amazing. You guys have a great leader. Can you just give it up for Brittany Redmond, because she's awesome. You guys are blessed to have her here with you, but we have a great friendship, and I'm so glad she asked me to come out tonight. I know you guys... If you don't know who I am, though, I am an associate pastor here, and I do work at Commonplace Coffee, and both those things are great. I love both of them because you have to be addicted to caffeine to be a pastor in America, so at least I'm getting paid to be addicted to caffeine right now. But I know you guys have been going through a series called Story Time, where you've been looking at uh, what we call the Old Testament, really the collection of books of the Jewish scriptures that were written over thousands of years. And I literally listened to every message that was preached here about story time. They were all great. So I know that you've talked about, I think I wanted to do this. This is just a test for myself. I'm a competitive person, so this is just a game for me right now. Abraham, I know you talked about him, talked about Moses. Talked about Joshua and the Israelites. Talked about Ruth, David, and Esther, right? That's what we got. Samuel. Samson. I hate Samson. He is a, he's a jerk. Have you ever read about him? He's literally a, a terrible person, but he does believe in God, so that's his one redeeming quality. Other than that, he was a literal jerk to everybody. All the time. <laughs> didn't know Samson. I missed that one. Interesting. Maybe I just didn't listen closely enough. My bad. But I was tasked to come here and talk to you about Daniel, the book of Daniel, and Jesus in there. 
Uh, Daniel is an interesting book. The last time I was here, I talked out of Daniel, which is weird that two times in a row I'm speaking out of the book of Daniel. That doesn't happen ever. But it's an interesting book because it's part history, part narrative, tales about these people in the king's court, and then part of it is prophecy, which the Old Testament prophecy is like basically God speaking through people to foretell the future and to tell people what's going to happen. So we're not really going to talk about much of that because it gets kind of strange, gets kind of weird. It's a very interesting book. You should read it, but I'm not going to touch on that. So really the first half is what I want to talk about. And we're going to talk about some characters like Daniel. He's the author. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, great king uh, of Nation of Babylon. So we're going to talk about all those people. But let me give you some historical context. But first, I want to pray over this time. Uh, God, we just thank you that we could be here today, that you are here, that you have given us the ability to look into your word and to look into the stories that you've given us to read, to know, to understand, and that we can look at Jesus and how he permeates through your entire story of history. And thank you for the ability to be here. And we ask you bless this time, bless the words that come out of my mouth, bless what we hear, bless what we think about, and just do some things here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, you guys talked. That was good. You guys all said amen. Proud of you. Proud of you. That was good. I actually heard something besides my own voice. I loved it. So let me give you some historical context. Does anyone like history in here? Four people. That's cool. Five, six. More than I thought. So that's great. So you guys have been going through boatloads of the Old Testament. <laughs> boatloads of history. Like, you guys have been bringing it, just spouting it off. So here's where I want, I want to put a point as to where we are in history, because I think it's important for us to always know the context of what we're talking about. So the context of this is that at this point, Israel, the Jews, are split into two kingdoms, okay? The northern kingdom is called Judah. The southern kingdom is called Israel. It gets a little confusing, but Israel's the southern kingdom. Judah is the northern kingdom. We will be talking about Judah. Everything that happens, happens Vaguely in Judah, because not really, but that's where it's centered at when we start. And at this point, there's a king in Judah called Jehoiakim who's really bad and worships a lot of idols, just like a lot of kings in Judah. And God is kind of upset with them. He set them a bunch of prophets telling them, stop doing this. You shouldn't do this. They didn't listen because why would they listen to God? That doesn't make any sense, apparently. So they didn't listen. So God sent Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to overtake the northern kingdom of Judah. So that's where we pick up the book of Daniel. Babylon has just overtaken Judah. It's about 606 BC, so about 600 years before Jesus was born. That's where we are. So Nebuchadnezzar comes and he takes over Judah. He tells the armies to bring all the good-looking people, all the smart people, the best of the best from the royals and the nobility of the Israelites back to Babylon so that he can teach them the language 
and the literature and the culture of the Babylonians because he wants to make them part of his inner circle, part of his court. Uh, a lot of times when nations would overtake nations, they would assimilate into that nation. Either they would kill everybody or they would make you part of what they were. It's basically how it worked. So he wants to assimilate the best of the best so they can rule over and basically keep the peace in Babylon and be part of his inner court. The people who are taken away that we know about are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may have heard of one or all of those people. If not, that's cool. Now you know who they are. They were probably kids at this point in time. But they are brought back to learn everything they can about Babylon because they're smart and they're good looking and they're exactly what Nebuchadnezzar won in his court. So there they are. They are now in exile, taken away from their homeland and brought to Babylon. So, what is happening is that they are trying to be groomed to be in the court, but there's a problem. They are all devoted to God. Every one of them is still devoted to the God of Israel, the, the true God, and they're being fed meat and made to drink wine from the king. Now, why would that be a problem? The problem is, in those days, the meat and the wine were sacrificed to idols. So therefore, they were not good, if you were a good Jew, to eat those things. It would not be good for you. God said, don't do that. So they refuse, and the king's servant is really upset. He's like, well, if you don't do it, you're probably going to die, and I'm going to die. So could you please just eat the meat and drink the wine? We'll all be cool. It'll be okay. But Daniel challenges him and says, hey, for the next 10 days, just give us vegetables. And if we're not better than the other guys... We'll eat the meat and we'll drink the wine. It'll be okay. So the sermon thinks 10 days, that's fine. So they believe that God's going to sustain them on only vegetables. And turns out, at the end of the 10 days, they are better in health than everyone who ate the meat and the wine and only on vegetables. So stick to your principles. God will take care of you. That's the little story. That's an extra thing thrown in there. God will take care of you no matter what, because he took care of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and actually flourished them more than everyone around them. So, they are growing in this time. They're smart. They're learning wisdom. God is blessing them. God is bringing them to new heights in their own lives. And something happens, a defining moment in the story where King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. A dream that is very upsetting. A dream that essentially he is losing sleep over constantly. And he wants to know what this dream is about. And he has a whole court of magicians and enchanters and psychics to tell him what all his stuff is. So he calls them in. And he says... Well, anyone can just tell me the interpretation of a dream. If I told... Brittany or Holly or anyone in this room a dream, you could think of something. You could probably make something up as to what it means, right? If I told you all a dream, if you, especially if it meant you weren't going to die, do you think you can answer my question and tell me what the dream meant? There, that's good. So Nebuchadnezzar decides that you don't only have to just tell me what the dream means, but you have to tell me what my dream was. Because anyone can tell me what it means. But if you're so smart and you know all the mysteries, tell me what this dream was and then tell me what it means. And the enchanters and the magicians are like, ah, crap, 
We can't do that. It's impossible. Right? Can anyone in here do that? Do you think anyone can do that? No one? No one's going to do it? Someone's, we're thinking over here. We're trying to figure it out. No one could do it. I couldn't do it. I'll admit it. I know a lot of stuff. I don't know what you're thinking. Right now I'm thinking, why, you're thinking, why is he talking so much? Please just get to the point. Am I right? Am I there? Nope. Cool. Good. You're all, you're all still with me. But they say this is impossible. The only people who can do that are the gods, and gods don't dwell among men, so this is impossible. So the king gets furious. He's so mad that he says, you know what? I'm sick of all the stuff you're doing. I'm sick of the wise men. You think you know everything. You don't. You don't know anything. I just want to kill all of you. You're all gone. So, as you can see, this might not sit well with those people. But Daniel is still chilling. He's part of this group, and he hears about this, and he tells to one of the servants, hey, Bro, why is the king so mad? And why does he want to kill us all so quickly? Like, tell him to chill out. Take a, take a chill pill. Relax. Take a nap. Something. It's okay. Like, I need to fuel up. Like, it's okay. He doesn't have to kill everybody. We, maybe the guys that just couldn't answer. Maybe just kill them. That's fine. I don't like them anyway. They were jerks. But they say, no, the king's, king's so mad he's going to destroy everyone. So Daniel says, well, get me in front of the king. I'll take care of this. So Daniel <laughs> has just put himself in a very interesting predicament. And he goes to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his fellow Jews who are in Babylon with him. And he says, hey, pray to God that he will take care of this because if not, Tomorrow's our last day, and it's all over. He's going to kill everybody. And they go, everybody? Yes, yeah, everybody, including you. So get praying. Tell God to figure this out, because if not, we're all dead. Turns out that God comes through yet again for Daniel and his friends. God reveals not only the dream to Daniel, but the interpretation. And he goes in front of the king, and he does what everyone thought was impossible, but... Nothing is impossible with God. The Bible tells us that constantly, that nothing is impossible with God. So God takes care of the situation yet again, and Daniel does not take the credit for himself. No, in front of the king, he says, it's not by my wisdom that I knew this, but God revealed it to me. And Nebuchadnezzar decides to acknowledge the God of the Israelites, among all his other gods, of course. But... Um, he exalts Daniel to ruler over all of Babylon because he was able to do this. Daniel then in turn puts Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as his three right-hand men. So now these three exiles from Judah are running the show, and they're over all the kingdom of Babylon. This doesn't sit well, as you might think, with the people who were already there and you know, the actual Babylonians who were banked on getting these positions, they're getting a little jelly, getting a little jealous. So, Nebuchadnezzar has this statue erected. We all know what it is, we just know that it's gold and it's huge. And he says that everyone has to bow down to this statue when this music plays. 
when you hear all the great bump and playlists from Nebuchadnezzar's iPod. Does anyone use an iPod anymore? No. I am 33 years old. I am dating myself. I don't use an iPod, but I remember when they were created. I bet half of you don't even know when that happened. Okay, good. I'm not as old as I thought. I appreciate that. Thank you for that vote of confidence, especially Lexi. You were really, really into knowing when the iPad was made. Pod, not pad. Anyway, back to the 6th century BC where they didn't have iPods or anything like that. But they play all these instruments and they say that everyone has to bow down to this golden statue. This is the chance for all those people who are jealous to get back at these crazy Judeans, these Jews who have taken their spot in the kingdom that they should rightfully have because they're not going to do it, are they? Because they believe in God and they're not going to bow down to some idols because God has told them multiple times that's really bad. Oh, and by the way, that's why they're in Babylon because their entire nation decided to do that. <laughs> so they're not going to do that here. They realize that that's not what we're supposed to do. So they are caught. The people who are jealous of them have a little conspiracy and they find them and they say, hey, these guys don't bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't bow down to this statue. They do not bow down to the statue. What are we going to do, king? What are you going to do? Well, this is where we come to one of our most famous stories in the book of Daniel. And actually, the last time I was here, last year, I think, this is actually what I talked about. So if you were here, I apologize. You're going to hear a little bit about it again. But here is what the king did. He got extremely upset. And then it records in Daniel 4, verse 14, that Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance. If you bow down and worship the statue I have made, when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, all will be well. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. What God will be able to rescue you from my power then? Pretty intense, right? Challenging. Their God, I mean, he acknowledged this God just a little bit ago when Daniel interpreted his dream, but now he is furious because Nebuchadnezzar is all about himself. He's very prideful. He has a huge ego. I mean, he's ruler of one of the most powerful nations in the world. So he challenges Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Who can save you? What God could save you now? And really, if you're just looking at it from human eyes, what God could save them from the fiery furnace. Well, here's what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, your majesty can be sure that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. 
This is a bold move <laughs> by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, I don't think they really thought Nebuchadnezzar was just going to let them off the hook because they said, don't worry, we'll be good. God will take care of us. We don't need to answer you. They literally just spit in the face of the king. And Matt, do you guys watch TV? Anyone watch Game of Thrones in here? I literally have never watched a single episode of that show. But I know it's about kings and stuff, right? That's what it's about. I'm sure there's a mean one in there. I literally have no idea. Please, someone help me. Well, the Bible's much more interesting than Game of Thrones, trust me. So, Holly, let me ask you a question. If they're, if they're at a king, think of one of the kings. If you, spit, if you spit in his face, would he kill you? Okay, so yeah, you're dead. So Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. This is, a, this is like an interactive thing in case you guys haven't noticed. I'll just call random people. I don't even know your name. I'll just start pointing. I don't know. But Shadrach. Okay. What was I talking about again? Okay. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Man, Holly, you throwing me off. It's okay. It's my job to get past that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just spit in the face of the king and said, guess what? God's going to take care of us whether you like it or not. We're going to be okay. And they even said, guess what? Even if he doesn't deliver us out from the fiery furnace, we're not going to worship you or your golden statue. It's just not happening. What kind of faith, what kind of belief in, in God do these people have that they can say, even if our God doesn't deliver us from death, he'll still deliver us? I think they know who their God is. They know the, the grace of God. They know the mercy of God. They know the love of God. They know who God is in Israel and that he's going to take care of them. So Nebuchadnezzar gets so mad, so furious that it says his face got all distorted and he got infuriated. It's like veins are popping out of his head like he's going nuts. And he says, let's have the furnace put up seven times hotter than it's ever been before. Let's, let's just go for this. We're going to get them. They, they are going down. No God's going to save them from my wrath. No God's going to save them from this. Believe me. So it says that they were tied up. They were tied up. Okay. There's three of them. And the guards took to throw them in the fiery furnace. And a big blast came out. And it literally was so hot that it killed the soldiers that threw them in. So they did. They did. They get thrown in. But in the process, the... There's a blast that comes out and the soldiers are killed because it's so hot. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are done, right? They're in the fiery furnace that is probably, I don't know, thousands of degrees. It's probably like a glass furnace, which it takes a lot of heat to melt glass and to make glass and to make it seven times hotter. Pretty insanely hot. So here's what happens. Suddenly, yes, suddenly, as he was watching, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the fire? Yes, they said, we did indeed, your majesty. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men 
unbound, walking around in the fire. They aren't even hurt by the flames. And the fourth looks like a god. So, I'm going to give you a big word. If you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, if you're interested, this is a big word. I just like to say it. So I'm going to say it, and if you guys want to listen to it and ingest it and remember it, go for it. This is what I like to call, not I like to call, people call it, a Christophany. It's a cool word, Christophany, which essentially means that in the Old Testament, we now see Jesus incarnate in the Old Testament. I believe that this man in the fiery furnace was Jesus on earth before he came down and was born in a manger in Bethlehem. So this is the first time we directly encounter Jesus in the book of Daniel. And let's think about this. What can we draw from this story right now where Jesus is is with these men? Well, let me tell you that if you put your faith in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, if you stand firm on who Jesus is, like these men stood firm on their God, Jesus will be with you. And even when you walk through the fire furnace and you walk through hell, Jesus will be with you. Jesus will be beside you. And just like they said, even if you don't get through that, Jesus will be with you on the other side. Maybe you might get singed with flames. But the Bible says that these guys came out and they didn't even smell like smoke. None of their hairs were touched. None of their garments were touched. They were clean. The fire didn't do anything to them because Jesus protected them. But they had enough faith, and I hope that we have enough faith if we believe in Jesus to know that even if we go through the fire and we walk through hell and it burns us and it hurts us, Jesus is still with us in there, and he's with us on the other side to redeem us. So that's the first time we encountered Jesus directly in the book of Daniel. But we're going to get to another place where we encounter him indirectly. So let's keep going through the book. We don't really hear much about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego the rest of the way. They had their moment. They had their 15 minutes of fiery fame. Yes, bye. Boy, bye. You out. We over you. We get into the new people. Daniel is basically who we're talking about the rest of the way. Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar who some crazy things happen that we don't have to get into, but just know that Daniel keeps doing some stuff for Nebuchadnezzar. He keeps interpreting some dreams. Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy for a year and literally goes and eats grass in a field, so that's interesting. Well, read it, and you'll understand. It's like Daniel chapter 4 or 5. Read that. He goes crazy, and then God redeems him, and all this crazy stuff happens. And then someone else becomes king, and... You may have heard this statement, the writings on the wall. Has anyone heard that statement before? It means basically the end is near, right? The writings on the wall, I can understand. I can see the end is coming. The writings on the wall. Well, this comes directly from the book of Daniel because there's this new king. They're hanging out. They're actually having a party. And this, this ghost hand just appears like <laughs> floating. And it writes words on the wall. It writes mene, mene, tekel, perez. And no one knows what it means. They're just staring at it. And obviously, they're scared to death because a ghost hand literally just wrote 
on the wall, I would literally crap my pants. Has anyone here ever crapped their pants? I'm looking. I might know of some people that did. <laughs> just, just saying, I might know a few stories of people in here that crap their pants. Sorry, I had to. Um, mm, that counts, bro. That counts. Was there a spot? Because it counts. If there's a sp- well, then yeah, you crapped your pants, okay? That's what happened. Man. But anyway, I would crap my pants literally if a, if a hand just flew around, so right down the wall. So they don't know what to do. So this new king calls in Daniel because someone says, hey, there's this Jew that interpreted some dreams for your dad, and he took care of some stuff. Maybe we should call him in. And basically Daniel says, well, this means that your days are numbered, your kingdom's measured, and someone's going to come take you over. The Medes and the Persians are going to take over your kingdom. And for some reason, the king's like, thank you so much. Here's a medal, and you can get brought into the top of my kingdom. And that night, actually, Darius the Mede comes and kills that king and takes over the kingdom. And, and he decides to put some people over his kingdom. And Daniel is one of the top three of the new kingdom and over Babylon. So, if you're following me so far, God has delivered Daniel and his friends throughout the entire book. God has blessed them through the entire book. God has literally delivered them from a fiery furnace and death. He's delivered them from a couple invasions, one in Judah, one here in Babylon. And he's made Daniel one of the top three in command of the Medo-Persian Empire, which takes over Babylon. I know, lots of empires in history. But like it happened before, the enchanters and the wise men get really, really jealous of Daniel because, well, he's not one of them. And oftentimes we get jealous of people who aren't like us, sadly. And they devise a plan to get Daniel in trouble. They know they can't do it with how he is a governor because Daniel is blameless. He has so much integrity that he does everything the way he's supposed to. Even in exile in a foreign land under a foreign king, he is still loyal to that king and he still does what he's supposed to do because he's serving God and that's what God has called him to do. But they know that if they make the king enact a law that goes against the law of God, they can get Daniel. Because there's no way he's going against his God. So, these people conspire and they ask the king to make an edict that says for the next 30 days, no one can worship or pray or call out to any gods or people other than the divine king Darius. So that's what's going on right now. So let's go to a large portion of this book because it's very, very important. And we're going to go to something that you guys might have heard about. Um, Even if you haven't ever been to church before, this is a really famous story that gets talked about. So 
If you have a Bible, this is going to be a little longer section. It starts in Daniel 6, verse 6. If you don't have a Bible, that's why we have this lovely floating Bible that we've been using the entire night. It's great. Thank you, production. You guys are great. So the unsung heroes of church, the production team. So chapter 6 of the book of Daniel, verse 6, says... So the administrators and princes went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We administrators, prefects, princes, advisors, and other officials have unanimously agreed that your majesty should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to your majesty, will be thrown to the lions. That's a gr- people love to kill people by throwing them to lions. Back in the day. Not sure why, but that's what they did. And let your majesty issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. A law of the means and Persians, which cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. So whenever this king in that kingdom signed a law, there was no way he could go back on it. He might be able to change it later after a period of time, but this is like 30 days. So if he changes it, he's going to look weak because he just went back on what he did. So this is set in stone, what's happening right now. So Daniel, when he learned that the law had been signed, went to his house and he knelt and he prayed in his upstairs room with his open windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done giving thanks to his God. So upon learning that this new law is enacted that says you cannot pray to any God or human, Daniel does what he always does. He goes and prays to his God because that's what he does. He believes in his God so much that nothing is going to stop him from doing this. The officials went together to Daniel's house because they knew this is what was going to happen. And they found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went back to the king and reminded him about this law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to your majesty, will be thrown to the lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It is a law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. So... They told the king, that man Daniel, who the king himself had put as one of his three right-hand men, and he actually had the want to make him head over everything because Daniel was better than everyone else in the kingdom. That man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is paying no attention to you or your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Sounds like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all over again, man. Hearing this, the king was very angry with himself for signing the law. And he tried to find a way to save Daniel. This king, unlike Nebuchadnezzar, actually loved Daniel and was very upset that this was about to happen. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said... I can just see them being real, like, condescending and just so excited that 
this is going to happen because they want him dead so bad. They want Daniel to be thrown to the lions so bad. Your majesty knows that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God whom you worship continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel from the lions. He's done. It's over. Daniel's gone. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you worship continually able to rescue you from the lions? Picture him just waiting, hoping that something good is coming out of this. Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. The lions leapt on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. How could, I know crazy, right? How could God have delivered Daniel from such a catastrophe? This may or may not be a second time when we see Jesus physically present in the book of Daniel as an angel was physically with Daniel all night keeping the lions away from him because he trusted in God. But the similarities between Daniel in this story and Jesus in the New Testament are uncanny. This is a picture of God's story throughout the entire scripture, God's story of salvation, God's story of saving his people. Because if we compare Daniel with Jesus, we see that both Daniel and Jesus were high in the kingdom. Daniel was the second in command to only the king. Jesus sat in the heavens for eternity under God, just like Daniel Jesus was brought low. Daniel was brought down from his high place and his place of authority. Jesus willingly came down to this earth to live as a human for a specific purpose. Daniel was innocent in the eyes of men. He was righteous. He didn't commit anything wrong, but yet his accusers came against him. Jesus, likewise, was innocent and blameless and lived a perfect life. Yet people who were jealous and couldn't stand him came against him and got him condemned in court. 
Daniel is thrown before a king who wants to have mercy on him, but the people won't let it happen. Jesus comes before Pilate, and Pilate wants to release him, but the people cry out, no, give us this guy named Barabbas, who is an actual murderer and killer, but kill Jesus. We don't want Jesus. So just like Daniel, he is condemned to death. Daniel is thrown in a lion's den and sealed with a stone. Jesus dies on a cross and is thrown in a grave, sealed with a stone. In the morning, the king and the people who lamented over Daniel being thrown in the lion's den ran to see if God had come through. In the morning, on the third day, the followers of Jesus in sadness went to the tomb expecting to find a body. Instead, they found that God had come through. Just like the stone was rolled away and Daniel came out without a scratch, Jesus was resurrected and brought out of a tomb where a stone was rolled away and God brought him back to life and resurrected him so that he could save a humanity that desperately needed the salvation of God. And just as the people who unjustly accused Daniel were thrown into the lion's den and swore to pieces, the enemies of God, Satan and his angels, the people that seek to kill and destroy, will ultimately be destroyed by our God, who has power over everything. So you see, the typology of Daniel shows us the glorious picture of Jesus and his defeating death and sin on our behalf and for our resurrection. This history of scripture shows Jesus over and over and over again because everything is pointing back to the eternal story of Jesus coming to save humanity. Not only that, but we have a picture of Jesus after the resurrection in the next chapter of Daniel. Daniel 7. So we've gone from an actual physical manifestation of Jesus in a fiery furnace in a lion's den, a picture of the story and redemption of Jesus through the story of Daniel, which is too similar to, to not talk about And now we move into the only chapter of prophecy that I want to tackle today. And Daniel is having a vision. He's been having dreams and visions. And he gets this vision. It says, as I looked, I saw the vision in the night. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is written hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked the earth, but yet This is a direct picture of Jesus who calls himself the Son of Man who has come to save the world. 
fully divine, fully human. And I don't know where you are, but I know that Jesus has come before the ancient of days, before God, because God has redeemed him from the grave and his kingdom, his dominion, his power will last forever and ever and ever. So I want to give you guys a chance to respond to these thoughts. So if you could close your eyes, every eye closed. This story recorded in the book of Daniel, 600 years before Jesus ever walked the earth, gives us pictures of Jesus. It shows us Jesus on this earth before he was born. It shows us the story of Jesus, and that story is a wonderful story. It's the story of the Son of Man who came down, who was fully God, fully man, who lived a sinless life, who willingly gave himself up on a cross, the most agonizing death anyone could ever suffer because he loved humanity so, so much. That God would redeem him from the grave and he would raise from the dead to defeat sin and death on behalf of all of mankind. And I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, what you walked in here with, but I know that not only do we see that in this story, but 600 years before Jesus walked the earth, we have a perfect picture and a prophecy that says what would happen when Jesus walked the earth. And I feel like that's a pretty good proof of who Jesus is. So if you don't know who Jesus is tonight and these stories have touched you and you've seen the way God came through for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the way Jesus has loved us by his death and resurrection on a cross, it doesn't matter what you've been going through, what you're dealing with, but God wants you to, to come to him and he wants to be your salvation, your friend, your savior, your everything, your God. So I'm going to count to three. If you want to make a decision to follow Jesus tonight, you just put up your hand. It's not the raising of your hand that saves you, but it's your heart. Turn towards God in this moment. So if God has been speaking to you, just give that up to him. One, two, be bold, it's okay. We love you here. It's a place you can find a home here at Revel 1929. Three, if that's you, you can raise your hand. I don't know where the rest of us are at. That's amazing. Thank you. But I believe that God has called us to live a life devoted to him and what he has for us, that Jesus has called us to be attentive to him and what he has for us. So if you feel like there might be some things in your life that are holding you back from that, if you feel like you need to give up some things in your life to trust God like these people did, Daniel and his fellow captives, his fellow exiles, 
So I want to pray for all of you too. So if that's you, you can raise your hand if you feel like there's things in your life that's holding you back from following Jesus the way that God has called us to. I'm going to pray for all of us. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we could be together. Thank you for the picture of Jesus in the book of Daniel and the acts that he brought forth in the fiery furnace in the lion's den. And ultimately on that cross, thank you for dying for us and loving us and raising from the dead for us. Thank you for coming down to serve us when we didn't deserve it, but you loved us so much that you were willing to do that. And we just pray that we could grow in our relationship with you and we could grow in how we follow you, that we could follow you the way that these men followed you, that we could earnestly seek after you, Jesus, and live a life glorifying to you outside of this place. Thank you, Lord, for your word and this time we had together. And I pray for all the people in this room who have made decisions to follow Jesus, whether it be for the first time or to take new steps in their following of Jesus. Thank you for them being here tonight. Thank you for everyone in this room. Bless them immensely. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. Well, that's all I got for you from the book of Daniel. Thanks.